0: Hi, this is Ellis Marcellus, and you're listening to Victor Goins,
1: Trisha Butte, Maggie
2: Kerner,
0: Idris Muhammad, Curlin Raleigh, Branford Marcellus. Coming to you from the studios at WWOZ FM, this is a WWOZ podcast.
2: You
1: are tuned to WWOZ 90.7 FM, the lively conversation we're having here in the studio <laughs> regarding uh, Dr. J and uh, Philly versus New Orleans. Branford Marcellus, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Stuart. It's nice to have you here. Pleasure. And, uh, you know, when I was thinking about this interview, I was thinking about um, Alvin Baptiste from the, the famous uh, Baptiste family, you, of course, from the famous uh, Marsalis family. And isn't all of New Orleans related in some kind of way? Even uh,
0: In a lot of ways, yes.
1: Your, your drummer over here, who's uh, going to be playing the other night, he's, he's extended family and Gregory Agid and
0: Right. Well, uh, yeah, because, you know, um, well, my drummer's from Philly. Uh, he was working on the Buddy Bo movie, so he's been here for a month. But his grandmother's from here, so it's just so this was his first extended time in New Orleans, and he really he's crazy. He wants to move here now, which I don't blame him. I want to move here too, so I know how it feels.
1: But you you uh, you grew up here, so you have a little bit more uh, experience about the city.
0: A little bit, yeah.
1: Hmm. Um, and with with this uh, family thing, at uh, that. Uh, the NEA award uh, comes to mind. And, and oh yeah.
0: Well, we didn't really. We didn't really. Like, not. We didn't take it that seriously. Uh-huh. Cause, uh huh. Because you know, we we were all too young for even to be considered for that. But I mean, from a business standpoint, you know, it all it made sense because you know, from a marketing standpoint, they were they were able to get um, the NEA Jazz Masters discussed in circles where they ordinarily were not discussed. Which is why you do it, mm-hmm. but you know mostly it was it was from my dad. You know, he got the honorarium; we got nothing. <laughs> we got a handshake, so you right. know. So then I told that guy, I said, when I actually musically qualify, can I get a check then?" And he just smiled and laughed, which meant hell no. That's what it meant. No, <laughs> you're not getting nothing. So I said, "Okay, that's fine. That's fine." But uh, I mean, it was great for my dad. I mean, we were a little, you know, you know, we're too young.
1: It's great for New Orleans too. I mean, there's only a, a few, two or three people picked each year, and the the folks that they've picked. Um,
0: uh, yeah, well, they were they were better qualified people than me, and uh, and then all the younger people went in, Delphio and Jason. They were better qualified people, but like I said, from a marketing standpoint, it made it made good business sense for them to do that because you had people, like you know, there was the little the the, the Chiron. A little, they call it the ticker. The ticker at the bottom of CNN and mm-hmm. Fox News and MSNBC. They all mention the fact that you know we were going to have this award, and usually it comes and goes, and you know nobody outside the jazz circles ever ever mentions it. So, in that respect, it made it made sense. But from a sheer musical accomplishment standpoint, yeah, we didn't we we didn't really qualify, but we were happy to participate. Oh.
1: Uh, What we're talking about is the uh, National Endowment of the Arts Award, the Jazz Masters Series. And, of course, you have the Tony Award. uh, You're a Tony Award winner and Grammy Award winner. No, nominee. Nominee. I did not win. Okay. And um,
0: Heartbroken. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh. But beyond the awards, uh, we're we're talking uh, mostly about um, this um, show that's going to happen tomorrow for For, Alvin Baptiste. Yeah. Uh, in his honor and he did something that uh, I think so many people would want to be able to do where he he had this incredibly uh, economical fertile future ahead of him and he and he sort of put that aside and went back to teaching right and and um, I get chills when I think about that that sort of uh, thing
0: well we were we were grateful yeah we were were grateful and uh... I mean, I, I've known him since I was itty bitty. So, when I went to, you know, I don't have any of those stories. You know, I was wayward and lost, and I went to Southern and Bat straightened me out. And I mean, he he and my dad parrot the same message, and uh, they might have different techniques, but it's pretty much the same thing about you know, study and curiosity and you know, questioning things. And Because like, Bat was great. He would always, when he gives you a lesson, he says, and it's different than any other teacher I've ever had. I said, I'm having a technical problem with this. He says, well, you might want to try this, but if it's not for you, then don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas other teachers say, do this. right, Do this because I say this, and I am the teacher. And he wasn't like that. And when I left Southern, I went to the Berkeley College of Music, and I immediately had run-ins with my teachers because they were more like the do this people. I said, well, that doesn't work for me. He said, well, I didn't ask you. I said, well, since it's my career, I'm just not going to listen to you <laughs> because it has to make sense to me or I'm not going to do it, which was the whole bad thing. This has to make sense to you. Mm-hmm. You Don't just do it because I told you to do it.
1: And he would suggest it rather than tell yeah, you this is. he would
0: suggest is- it and say, try for a little while and see if it works. And most of the time it did. As a matter of fact, I can't think of one time when it didn't, but that's not the way that most teachers operate. And I found that out when I left and mm-hmm. went, to, went up north. So I was always butting heads with my teeth. Not all of them. One Billy Pierce was, was great. I didn't butt heads with him. But the other ones, yeah, I, you know, was one of them things. Because I was already spoiled. Spoiled how? Growing up here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Growing up here where people teach you. I mean, they're just brutally honest with you and... You know, I think about. I was just talking about, like, when 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 Bob French stopped the stopped the show and threw me off the bandstand, and because I wasn't prepared, and uh, there really wasn't any arguing with that. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't prepared, and I said, "Well, next time I come back, you ain't gonna be throwing me off the base." He said, "Well, we'll see about that." And then the next time I came back, he said, "All right, young Marcellus, that's there you go. That's more like it." Like, so you can tell that it wasn't personal, Right. even though a lot of people would take that personally in modern in today's society. It wasn't personal, it was strictly a musical decision. And it wasn't one of those things where I didn't show him the proper amount of deference or like a lot of things that matter, uh or that mattered when I moved up, up north. it was all about playing the music and playing it well. And if you didn't play it well, folks around here will let you know. And uh and there's probably still folks like that, but I think that the younger generation is less responsive to the, those kinds of criticisms. They have their own idea about what they want to do.
1: I was going to ask you if you think that legacy is carried over.
0: Well, I think, I think that the, the legacy of, of instruction exists still and is still here. Uh, I think that it's, it's fair to say that some of the younger musicians are less enthusiastic about receiving that information. And that is what that is. I mean, it's always been one of those things where it was probably probably the same way when I was younger, except all the kids I was around, you know, me and Win and Donald Harrison and Terrence Blanchard and, uh, you know, Reginald Veal and her, we were all receptive to that information. And I'm sure there were guys that said, well, man, we don't want to deal with these old people because I played mostly R&B back then anyway. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of people in that camp didn't even want to hear them but i wasn't there to witness that so i had this impression of it that's probably that 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 was different than the impression i have now because you are kind of personally seeing the rejection of it you know it's it, i'm watching it happen but i think it's probably the same you know because guys that playing brass bands now they're not really they're more funk player marching band guys than jazz guys anyway they're, mm-hmm. not, they're not trying to play jazz they're not trying to play traditional music they're, not, they're just trying to do their thing and get paid and that's cool
1: I want to read a, a quote uh, from Alvin Batiste in an interview he said uh, uh, and he was having some trouble teaching at this time you per- perhaps have heard this uh, after the first year with both the joy and the dues you pay in helping other people I never considered teaching to be a drag in fact more from an aesthetic perspective, nothing is better than being able to teach and play, is what he said. And, and, uh, and then he went on to uh, you know, be an educator in so many different ways uh, here and in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's, uh, sort of summed things up for me when I was uh, doing some research about his life. Right. So here we're going to uh, Saturday at 7 p.m. Uh, you want to tell us about uh, a little bit about the program?
0: Well, there are guys who are eminently more qualified to talk about the program than me since I showed up at two o'clock this afternoon <laughs> <laughs> for rehearsal. But uh you know it's gonna be it's bats tunes, it's all bats tunes. Okay. And uh there's a, what, three saxophone players, Steven, uh well that's right, Greg Gajit's only playing clarinet. So Steven and uh Calvin Johnson and me and this young man who I just met, he's playing what's your name, sir? Miles Labot's gonna play drums and mm-hmm. uh, uh uh Troy Davis is playing drums and Christian Severin, Chris Severin, who I grew up watching cuz he was he's older than me. So when we used to go over to Noka, you know, we'd see Chris, Chris was playing and we used to love him. He was charismatic, he could play all over the you know, he played electric bass at that time. So uh it's gonna be fun. We're we'll gonna have a good time. I just got to learn some of the tunes.
1: <laughs> From here and, until then.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: I'm, gonna uh, learn. I'm well, of course, yeah. Um, it, it's uh, interesting to have somebody come in here who, you know, we're talking about jazz, but you um, are very well practiced in classical music and, and of course, uh, made a, a big name for yourself in pop music as well. Mm. Um, and, the, of course, the, the lines blur at times. But do they blur for you when you're when you're playing jazz? Does it seep into classical music and and vice versa? Yeah, I'm sure it does. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure it does. I, I'm sure that I make uh, phrasing choices that a, a strict, strictly classical person wouldn't make. I just I just played this piece in in, in Scotland by this composer, a great composer named Sally Beamish, and it's a twenty minute tour de force, very technically complicated piece, and there was this one thing with a lot of staccato notes, but I wouldn't I wouldn't play it. I wouldn't go, pop-up, pop-up. I'd go, da-da, da-da, and the violin, the principal violinist, the concertmaster says, this is a very, very curious phrasing choice there. And I said, yeah, I thought about doing it straight, but the piece does kind of swing, so I just kind of went, down. he says, you know, I actually really like it, and he says, it's great, because I we would never have thought to play it that way. And then they started playing it the way that that I played it because it does give the music a different kind of flavor in that instance. And then there are other instances where you just can't, it doesn't work and you have to play it the way that, you know, because I'm doing a lot of Baroque music now and you're not bringing any jazz into that. <laughs> it's just, you're <laughs> not bringing any phrasing, you know, But but there is a sensibility, you know, the use of space. You know, one of the things I learned from listening to the older guys, I mean, you know, guys post-Coltrane don't believe in space. They kind of put as many notes as possible in. But mm-hmm. the older guys, when I'm playing a lot of these pieces, I definitely utilize more space than 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 uh, a lot of other guys would. And uh, I'm I'm comfortable with, with the silence. There are a couple of solo saxophone pieces. Like one is called My, M-A-I with umlauts over the I by Rio Noda. And it... Is a Japanese composer using the alto saxophone to simulate a shakuhachi performance, which is a Japanese wood flute that is often played in temples. It's it's a it's sort of a religious instrument, uh, and the piece is about a minute longer when I play it because I just there's space and I just utilize the space and I don't um, come in until it feels right. So it's it's things like that 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 ordinarily in classical music are strict saxophone player probably would not do that but for the most part I you, it's the same 12 notes and to me it's kind of like being a a translator you know you just have to learn different accents it's not like you have to completely learn different styles of music because you know a quarter note is a quarter note and an eighth note is an eighth note and when you think about it musically uh, 'Cause I was I went to when they had the the, the international uh flute con- the national flute convention here and <clears throat> they brought in a Baroque flutist from Belgium named Bart Bartold And he was listening to this it was a master class and he listened to this guy play and he was playing all the notes on the beat and pristine and he says, Oh you, you're really a fan of those eighth notes, aren't you? And he says, well, that's what's on the music. He goes, not really. Music is not really. Music is a guide. It, it, it's, it's not a, a religious tenet. Mm-hmm. And he said to the guy, he says, so what is a dotted quarter note to you? He says, well, it's either three-eighth notes or uh, a quarter note with a half note. I know I'm getting technical, but I'm trying to. And, and he says, well, I would like, to think about, I would like to, for you to think about it very differently. He says, a, a dotted quarter note is a note that is longer than a quarter note but shorter than a half note. And when you think of it in those terms, it becomes less exact and you mm-hmm. have maneuverability. So when you think of eighth notes, which are for people that don't play music, a quarter note is one, 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 one. So the eighth note is one and one and one and so forth. Sixteenth pa and you can play it very much like a metronome or you can find the space in there. And he was really encouraging the young students to find the space and when he said that it was really something I needed to hear at that time. It was like a thunderbolt. I said, "Oh, that's great!" You know, so that's so. I'm, I'm playing a lot of baroque music now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this tour in, in October with the Philadelphia Chamber Orchestra, and I'm really working on that of, you know, not making it so metronomic because uh, baroque music, unlike modern, you know, classical music in the 19th century and in the 20th century, but classical music in the 17th century was dance music, and the pieces were written. It's much the way that. Uh, when you think about what they call Afro-Cuban music, everybody talks about the clave, mm-hmm. and the music is written on that rhythm. And there are all these, these, these French dances, minuets and gavats and all these things, and the music is written on that rhythm. And th- it always sounds better when you understand what the rhythm is rather than when you follow the strict metronomic interpretation.
1: Which lends itself to uh, improvisation.
0: In, of a sort, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of a, that's exactly what it is. Because Baroque music is kind of like early jazz. Uh early jazz is far simpler than modern jazz. So the musicians have to interpret the music to make it work. Because there's just nothing there. Whereas modern jazz is really, really complicated and you fill the space just by playing what the music requires. It does it and, and if it's fast enough, people won't even notice it all starts to sound the same after a while, but that's a separate problem. But when you listen to early when you listen to songs that are written in the twenties and thirties, Uh, You have to bring something to those songs to make them work. They don't just play themselves. And by the time you get to Mozart Baroque music, the music kind of plays itself. You just kind of stay out of the way of it, and it plays itself. Not to say that it's easy to play. That's not what I'm saying. But you don't have to interpret it as much. But earlier, you know, in the early years, in in like 1712... 1727 by the time you get to 1790 the music's kind of playing itself learn the notes and it's orchestrated in a way and then you get to like debussy in the 20th century and his music is best played Went because he was a fan of mechanical toys and that's the way his music is a lot you wind it up and you let it go and mm-hmm. if you just play it it the music is in there. He's created it; and it just plays itself. You don't have to interpret it so much.
1: I'm going to think about that the next time I hear some.
0: And then <laughs> you can always find recordings of people trying to interpret it, and it's less effective than the people who just play it. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah, so early baroque music is the opposite of that.
1: Will you, will you? Uh, do you think we'll see that on your label, the uh, Marsalis Music no. label?
0: No, it's you know, it's a different business. So you know the classical business. Just like the 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 R and B business or the, the hip hop business or the rock and roll business, they are different contact people, and it's a completely different business. So then you have to make new relationships with different people who in distribution and marketing, and it's it's, it's a very complicated ordeal. This is basically like a quest to make myself better. Uh-huh. It's not an angle for a recording. Not in my plans. I'm not planning to record it. I just the idea of of, of going out and and playing five or six difficult pieces with repetition by the time you play it about 15 or 16 times, it starts to get good. And it's the, the goal is to just get better. It's not, it's not anything else.
1: So the, the label, um, looks for, uh, older and even newer, uh, musicians. Is, is there some way you can, uh, pinpoint what it is you're looking for to, uh, to put out in, in uh, on a
0: record? I, I just, I, you know, I, I have this thing about authenticity. I mean, you have, you have, you know, a lot of musicians are thinking in terms of innovation. And I, I just, I haven't heard anything that lends me to the belief that the key to innovation is by avoiding tradition. Uh, and there are positive people, the majority would argue that point. But when you listen to what's called innovative and modern, I mean, all these groups kind of sound the same after a while. And each song starts to sound the same. So then you have to narrow your definition of excellence to a particular solo on a particular track and individual musicians and not groups so i'm more interested in musicians that are focusing on group and group into playing group sound and that can play melodically as opposed to harmonically and uh it's it's just something that i like and uh, i believe in and uh we've made some good records
1: is that something that you heard uh, growing up listening to people like Alvin Baptiste and your father uh, play that
0: well the funny thing is that they tend to be more harmonic guys than melodic guys even though they do play melodies they they're really into the harmony stuff but uh you know growing up just listening to them yes and listening to Tread and listening to the Meters and you know chocolate milk was around just did you grow up and then you playing i played in this R&B band and the songs that you played that people could sing were far more successful than the songs that you played that people couldn't sing and we were musically skilled enough to do both and there were other bands that were not musically skilled enough to do both and it wasn't lost on me that they worked more than we did (laughs) so when you sat around and listen well what are they doing that we're not doing they're playing the songs and hewing close to the melodic content and grooving like crazy so then If we're going to nerd out the music, then we have to make sure that it's grooving and we have to play songs that people know in a style that is familiar with them. We can't keep taking all these songs on the radio and changing the songs and our idea is trying to make them hip when, in fact, they're already hip. They don't need us. (laughs) You know, these people didn't need a bunch of cocky 15-year-old kids to make their music better, and the audience was very vocal about that. I don't know what you do in these songs, but they're not better when you do it. So it was a good lesson learned. And, you know, it's that, like that old mathematician, I think he was Rome, Greek or Roman, Occam, you know, Occam's razor. It's like, you know, it's, it, it, I think it's, it's when, when, when you're looking at a set of data, the thing that you see is the thing that's actually, because people tend to dig and look for more information, and his whole thing is, you know, in, in any course of events, the thing that is most obvious to you is probably the correct answer almost always. And while you're looking for the hidden minutiae, and this is what jazz musicians, we always do that. We're trying to look for the hidden thing. And sometimes the most obvious thing is right in front of you. Mm-hmm. So so I really do kind of believe it, in, in that philosophy.
1: Well, I think DJs fall into that category too.
0: Yeah, it's easy to do. Did, you know, terminal, <laughs> I call it terminal hipness. <laughs> it's an <laughs> can, awful affliction. You can, you can die of hipness. Sometimes <laughs> the, the right answer is right in front of you.
1: Do you think the audience has changed much? I mean the the kids now are are taking Michael Jackson songs and, and turning those into uh brass uh pieces and it's yeah it, well people seem to love that.
0: Yeah, well what's different, they're not playing jazz at all. They're just yeah they got a brass band and they're playing mm-hmm. they're playing the same music that they played in marching band, because I marched at Southern. And when I hear the songs, and it's very funny that a lot of the songs they play, they want, they go back to my generation because a lot of modern music has less and less melody that you can sing. It's more stylistic. Huh. Like when you listen to the songs, the singers are riffing and the tracks tend to be very repetitive and there's nothing you can really put your finger on. So they're going back to the, to the 70s and the early 80s and playing those songs and the modern songs. There are a couple here and there, but, you know it's hard it's hard especially in a in a brass band it's hard to to do it with some of those songs because the melodies are so you know they're not really melodies they're just kind of stylings and uh but yeah you know it's it's a fine thing but but I'm not opposed to that i'd I'd rather hear uh I'd rather hear guys play like good funk than bad jazz, and since they're not in the jazz, why should they be playing jazz mm-hmm. they should play what they want to play you know so but i don't think that the audience has changed very much i don't think audiences have changed for thousands of years i mean audiences are really really simple what they like are songs that have a melody that they can put in their pocket and a beat and if you listen to if you listen to a lot of music i mean a lot of music falls in that category a lot of classical music falls in that category and when classical music made that shift post mozart where it was just listening music i mean they lost a lot of people and then it's the same thing with jazz. When it made that shift post-Charlie Parker and it became a listening music, it lost a lot of people. you know. But the the, the other reality is, is that if it had not made that shift, I would never have been interested in playing it. I would have just stayed and, you know, played R&B. Mm-hmm. So I get it from all sides. So when I say that, I'm not saying that jazz should only be like it was in the 40s. But there are things in the music from the 30s and 40s that jazz musicians should kind of get a hold of. Because if you have the possibility of reaching people who have the capacity to appreciate instrumental music even though it's a very small group they like it better when you have certain elements in it that reminds them of things that they're already familiar with and that, that's that been my experience and I remember when I was in my 20s and couldn't do it and now I'm in my 50s and I can and I, I think it's more effective now than, than when I was in my 20s you know, innovating in in big big quotations innovating
1: <laughs> but but also knowing your audience and and uh
0: well just just learn just learning enough jazz to know what really like because the question for me is is like when i listened to myself and my contemporaries at that time and then i put on the lester young record the question was why do i like that better than i like us <laughs> and that was something that i had to figure out now, the easy answer would say oh they're just old and you know we're doing the new thing and that felt good it feels good to say that but when I, was, when I was able to sit, I think if I have one good strong point is that I can sit down and I can listen to music with, without bias and just say, this is what the music is, including my own music. So when I would listen to my music, I'd say, well, man, why do I like those old guys? Ben not like us. And eventually when I started learning the old guy stuff, I figured out why once I figured out why I wasn't playing the way that I was before anyway. So then people started to appreciate it a little better. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that a big, uh, like a great compliment for me in jazz is one that I've started to get in the last 10 or 15 years is, you know, it's the first time I've been in a jazz concert. I didn't think I'd like it as much as I did because that's the audience you want. You don't want the, 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 the hardcore jazz people, they're coming and there's not a lot of them. But if you can get the people that are kind of on the periphery of that thing to come and enjoy themselves and come back, yeah. That's how you sustain yourself in, in, in the business.
1: Well hopefully they'll turn out tomorrow night to Yeah, you hope o'clock. so.
0: We're gonna have a good time regardless. Oh yeah. You know, so even if they come, I mean, you know, we play for this you know, if there's five people we're gonna play our hearts off for of five people. If it's sold out, we're gonna play our hearts off for them. I mean and I hope they enjoy it, because we're gonna have a good time.
1: I will certainly be there. It's uh Saturday, seven PM at Loyola University, Russell Hall. Is that how you say that?
0: I think it's Russell. How is Roussel? it Russell? Roussel Hall. Thank you. The Fort Erie Surprise. What? Okay, come over here and mention the Armstrong yeah, come Jazz. On jazz. Join us. You're going to tell us to mention it. So y'all can You <laughs> mention it. No, go. We
1: got a microphone for you. Oh, okay. Right. You going to go over there? Yeah, I got it. You're tuned to ninety point seven WWOZ. You're with Branford Marcellus, and I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Jackie word. Harris. Jackie Harris is the joining great us Jackie now. Jackie
2: Harris. Oh, Lord. <laughs> right, great, great, right, great. The great. <laughs> the great. So, um, yeah, these this concert tomorrow night is uh, a celebration of the 20th anniversary of the Armstrong Jazz Camp. Alvin Batiste was a founding faculty member of the camp. And uh, there are two more concerts left in the 12-month 20-year celebration, and uh, Branford was so gracious to come down uh, to uh, celebrate with us and to honor his uh, past instructor, Alvin Batiste, so we're really appreciative and uh, really happy you're here, and you're here on the day of a uh, New Orleans Saints football game. There you go, babe. <laughs> you know where I'm going to be. In full <laughs> regalia. You know where I'm going to be. <laughs> Too bad it's not
0: a real game. It's preseason, but you take what you can get.
2: Exactly. Well, you get a chance uh, to wear your uh, T-shirt that's and, and go. That's right, and your hat, your cap, your Saints mm. cap. So
0: you representing. Always. <laughs> it's on my phone. It's everywhere. Flirtily sure, is everywhere sure is. Everybody in Carolina knows about the fleur de now. They're, they're sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> if they
1: hear one more who dance, they're yeah, I'm gonna... telling
0: you, they're like, oh, enough of that. <laughs> when the Saints won, we acted a fool.
2: <laughs> That's right. Everywhere in New York as well, people say to me, do you wear that merchandise in New York? I said, absolutely. Everywhere. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you so much, for uh, both of you, for coming in and uh, Pleasure, joining studio. us here in the studio. It's good to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, uh, great uh, conversation, uh, some of which uh, I didn't quite understand because I'm not a—, a I'm sorry. That, I knew it okay. was getting goofy, well, too. I was no, trying to figure out a people, way to make it work. There's people out there that do know. But there's people that don't, touch too, and
0: you, you can't exclude them. It's just hard no. to talk about it. I try it, too. So you want to talk about it in a general way, but it's... No, no, it, I don't. It, it gets nerdy, I know. I'm This sorry. isn't about
1: me. It's about everybody out there who's listening, and they know a whole lot more than I do, which is fantastic. Okay, then. So tomorrow night, 7 p.m. at the Loyola University at uh, Roussel Hall, and uh, a great tribute to the, uh, the great educator and clarinetist Alvin Baptiste.
2: Thanks for listening.